I mean, it, it takes only once for someone to hit me. It I, takes only once. It takes only once. I'm just using myself as an example for someone to hit me. And then I maybe I give you final warning. <laughs> And I tell you, it should never happen again. I'm telling you, the second time, I'm out of there. So yeah. at what level, I'm just thinking, what goes through people's minds that they get to that level where they bond with their abusers? From Triple E Media, I'm Ramat Mohammed, and this is The Backstory. Hi, everyone. We started working on this episode back in April after the death of gospel singer Osinachi Wachuku at the hands of her husband after a severe beating. After her death, close friends and family members revealed that Osinachi had been in an abusive marriage for years. The questions that come up every single time a case like this breaks in the media is, why didn't she leave? Why did she stay? The answer is that it's complicated. In the beginning of this episode, you heard my colleague Maryam Mohammed interviewing Dr. Shewun Ogunla. In case the audio was not too clear, she said that for her, it would only take one slap or hit before she walks away from an abuser. For a lot of us who hold that conviction, it is hard to imagine why a person stays in an abusive relationship. Now, even though the answer is a complex one, we can simplify it down to two words, tolerance levels. Everyone has a different tolerance level for abuse. That tolerance level is not something that we're born with, we learn it. Maryam Mohammed and Lucky Osama are here to explain. Humans learn a lot as children were taught mathematics, grammar, social studies, and so much. One of the ways children learn is through experience. Things learned from experience can last a lifetime. When you violently discipline a child for wrong behavior, and then you tell that child, I beat you because I love you. And maybe you even buy them gifts to make them feel better. This can affect the child's tolerance level to withstand violent behavior as an adult. To prepare for this episode, we spoke to several survivors of domestic violence, and to protect their identities, some of their names have been changed. We also spoke with Dr. Shion Ogunla, a psychologist, who took us through some of the mental changes that can happen to us in order to make us more tolerant to abusive behavior. In our, in our setting, in Nigeria, Africa, most especially, we grew up with that mentality of especially those that were really beaten by their parents, you know. They have so much conditioned their minds that love can only be shown through that kind of um, inflicting, those kind of punishment, pain, and all that. So when the parent beats the child and, you know, does all those kind of things and just abuses the child, more or less, it might not even be the parent, it might be just somebody elderly, 
And at the end of the day, you know, you know the, the adage in Yoruba, you beat the person, you spank the person with the right hand and draw the person closer with the left. That's how it plays. That's how it works. You know, so you draw the person closer and the person feels, oh, love the game, that oh, I was the one at fault. I was the one that did this, not, I didn't do right. So I was like, this, and you begin to give excuses for the person. This process of physically disciplining a child and then showering them with love afterwards as positive reinforcement can set the child up to form trauma bonds later in life. Trauma bonding is really legit. It is um, just about the person having this sense of, okay, now the, 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 the person is, the, I mean, the abuser now, abuses the person in such a way that after abusing the person, positively reinforces the person. So after abusing the person, say the person gives the person sweets or gives the person gifts or something. Now, it goes just beyond that because there is a biological um, process behind it. You know, when somebody is being loved or shown love, um, hormones like dopamine, like oxytocin, oxytocin that's, those are feel-good hormones, are released. And so you just want to, you notice that you just want to do more, you just want to be of the good behavior, you just want to be of, you know, you just want to do good to the person so that the person will not um, uh, abuse you again. The child starts to equate pain with love and that if they make a mistake, learn that it's okay for them to be violently disciplined because it is being done out of love and they learn to even start doing things to gain the abuser's approval just so they can feel that love again. If you spank your child, notice that after the spanking, they always come back to you trying extra hard to seek your approval. This is no different from a victim who stays in an abusive relationship. The victim is seeking approval because they have learned to bond with the abuser. We know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I was violently disciplined as a child and I turned out okay. Or maybe you're thinking, I spanked my child and they're okay. We want you to consider that maybe, just maybe, they are not okay. In this episode, we want you to consider the possibility that consistently beating and verbally abusing your child in the name of discipline may be setting them up to enter and stay in abusive and violent relationships when they become adults. When people learn from childhood that being disciplined through violence and then receiving some sort of love to compensate for the violence is normal, this sticks to their conscious and subconscious mind. This lays the foundation for the tolerance of abuse from anyone close to them. Could be a boyfriend, a friend, colleague or boss, relative or spouse. Once a person starts to bond with their abuser, they will start to experience repeated cycles of abuse, followed by intense love. These repeated cycles eventually lead to what psychologists called learned helplessness. And this is a concept that was first researched by some psychologists with using animals. But then they, they, they took it and they saw that it actually also plays a part with human beings too you have learned to be helpless after a long time. The person is being placed under a lot of duress, a lot of tension, a lot of, you know, abuse, but the person is just 
feeling like there is no world outside of this confinement. You just feel like you don't have control over this situation. You don't have control over this person. So you just have to accept what is coming to the person, from the person. Learned helplessness happens when a person feels or is made to believe they cannot change the situation or that they shouldn't even try. I just entered into this relationship and um, before you knew it, we were married. Now, everything seemed okay, you know, but there were signs that um, if I knew what I know now, of course, I couldn't have gone forward with it. Because I remember a few days to the um, wine carrying, you know, a few days to the traditional um, marriage. We were in the car and just a little argument. I can't remember what it was all about, but he did, this guy slaps me. And I'm like, you know, this is a time you're supposed to be happy. Everybody is excited, planning something. And a, lot, a little argument and the guy slapped you. In a normal situation, you have to have a rethink. And, uh, because that was a sign of uh, the kind of person he was. You know, but um, because we had gone too far with the planning and all that, the only person I told was my most senior sister who took me into her room and um, sat me down to tell me about marriage, you know, his patience, you have to bear with the man, you know, the man of the house, you know, all those things we tell they, they tell us. Anyway, I went ahead and we got married. That's Dr. Jackie Iketoye, a domestic violence survivor speaking about her own experience. Dr. Jackie most likely learned to be helpless at the very early stage of her marriage. She likely learned from the culture around her that she should tolerate these beatings, that it was normal for the man to lose his temper and lash out violently, that she must endure and try her best not to upset him. Sometimes, whether we tolerate abuse may not always be linked to whether we were violently disciplined as children messages that we get from well-meaning members of our family from our religious leaders and everyone around us can impact our tolerance level for abuse by making us feel like we have no control over the situation if you're led to believe that a man getting upset and hitting you is normal and that every other woman is experiencing it then what can you do about it if every other woman must tolerate it then who are you to change it in Dr. Jackie's case, she knew in her gut that when he slapped her that first time, there was something wrong. But Dr. Jackie was young at the time her experience with domestic violence started. And after she was reassured by a family member, her tolerance level for abuse likely went up. And so she endured for several years. She continued to be reassured by the culture around her. Now, the beauty of being human is that just like we have the ability to learn certain things, we can also unlearn. Our hope, obviously, is for those people who have learned to tolerate abuse, that they begin to unlearn that tolerance before it's too late. Perhaps one of the most effective ways to unlearn tolerance for abuse is to have long-term physical distance between victim and abuser. After he left for, after he left for the U.S., it was just I and the children. We were like, thank God, you know. 
And we kept hoping that, okay, that, like they say, absence makes the heart um, grow fonder. He was there trying to also find his feet. I mean, I wasn't angry or quarreling. I just, fortunately, as soon as he left, I got another job as a senior manager somewhere. And first of all, my pastor then, he was so helpful. What he did, first of all, was help me reorganize myself. You know, like I, I, I was so battered emotionally. Sometimes these things may not show physically, but at that point it was showing physically. My thoughts were not together. My thoughts were like scattered, you know, and I realized that I have been in what, um, you know, what we normally call gaslighting relationship, where the person actually makes you feel like it is your fault that you had four girls. It is your fault that things didn't work out for him. It is your fault that this happened. It is your fault. And they say so much to you that you actually begin to believe it is your fault and that maybe there was something wrong with you. You know, so it was after he left and um, I got this job uh, with um, another IT firm and started working as a senior manager, there, earning good salary that I started realizing that, well, it's not actually me. That's, there's something wrong somewhere, you know. Yes, absence makes the heart grow fonder, but also helps weaken the emotional hold that the abuser has on the victim. With distance, the victim begins to gain perspective. And if she starts to make other more healthy emotional bonds, with time, she can unlearn the tolerance for abuse. Another way to start to unlearn the tolerance for abuse is to actually become aware that you have developed a high tolerance for abuse and also be aware that your tolerance level can be impacted. You might be like me. You might think it takes only one slap, but then maybe you find yourself making an excuse for him after the one slap. And then there's another excuse after the second slap. Um, you see, domestic violence have um, different degrees and different stages. And um, a very confident woman over the course of, of, the, of time, um, depending on the kind of violent, um, abuse that happens, can lose her confidence. And you know our threshold differs. Our thresholds to to pressures to to uh, our resilience threshold differs. And, and so a woman can be very confident this 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 year, and in three months she passes through a, a domestic violence, and then she loses all her guards. And before you know it, your tolerance level, which you thought was only one slap, has now escalated to daily beatings. But according to Kola Olatosimi, a social worker. Everyone will get to a breaking point. They will get to a point where they have had enough. Because most of the reason why people don't step up is the stigma. You left your husband. You left, I was going to take care of you. And so you are going to become what? And so a woman that is mentally empowered um, would damn the consequences of whatever you're going to say. She has accepted that there was a problem. She has accepted that the solution is for her to step out of it. She has accepted that she's the only one that can start to help herself before others help her. Again, our hope and prayer is that domestic abuse victims get to that breaking point before it is too late. As family members and friends to a victim of domestic abuse, it can be extremely frustrating watching the victim continue to stay in an abusive relationship. We want the person to walk away. We keep asking ourselves, why won't they just leave? As friends and family, we have to understand that the ultimate decision to leave is up to the victim. If you come from the aspect of a victim-centered approach by laying out 
uh, steps in which the victim discovered by herself that is a problem. That's 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 it's very tricky. It takes time, and uh, sometimes we 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 may not succeed. But it's better than just you know um, going headlong and calling names, abusing the man, saying a lot of things. But the victim needs to be supported to realize by by set, um, questions, by scenarios, by being there for the victim to realize that she is in a problem. And the decision to leave is hers. If the decision to leave is not the victim's, that's why you see for victim leave, after three months, they go back to that relationship. It is natural that we want to help, but there's a right way to help and a wrong way to help. The, the first way, you know, most of the time in, in, in domestic violence, when we are helping the victim, uh, we don't really help victims um, or we help victims wrongly. Um, uh, our statements are judgmental. Our statements are, so you are going to sit there and then allow the person to kill you. What kind of mumu are you? You know, that kind of thing. It, it doesn't help. Uh, the first step to see if you have um, a, a victim that is close to you, that is passing through um, domestic violence, is to really talk to the victim and really assure the victim that whenever you're ready to talk about anything, I am here for you. It's not about me, it's about you. I am here to help you whenever you want it. Give that assurance. Um, let the victim know that uh, you are on on our side uh many a times we we go to do self-help um with a an holier than high attitude and you know victims read this that they don't they don't they, they they will think that you are going to manipulate them also and they and and you are the one they can fight they may not be able to fight the perpetrator uh, because they are used to that kind of um, um, abuse, but for you, they're going to fight it, they're going to oppose it, they're going to look at you and just play dumb. But the problem with many of our interventions with victims of domestic violence is that whether intentionally or all intentionally, we judge them and they don't like it. A victim that has passed through that sees judgmental comment as also an attack. And then what will you do? Or what we should do, she move away from you. The first thing you can do to help is just be aware of some of the signs and symptoms of domestic abuse. You <laughs> all know that there are various forms of abuse. Um, we have the physical, we have the sexual, we have the emotional, we have the psychological, and we have the economic empowerment abuse, where um, the spouse or the partner abuse um, the, the partner um, financially by depriving the person of access to money or other economic benefits. So, so with all of these different forms of abuse, there are different indicators um, that you, 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 you begin to see. Uh, but one thing that is very, very common in all of them is that you, you begin to see that the victim uh, begin to become un uncertain of himself or herself, and most, most especially uh, among, among, among ladies that are abused. Um, uh, they begin to show um, signs of fear. Um, they begin to 
um, have what we call withdrawal syndrome, where uh, you, you see them that they are no longer associating socially. Um, a, a person that used to be very, very jovial or that used to see um, come to the workplace in a very um, joyful mood begins to be withdrawn. So you begin to see these signs of withdrawal within them. And for physical abuse, actually, you, you begin to see um, scars, um, unexplained scars. And uh, people start giving you, somebody's having um, a botch eye and is telling you, I fell. Then the, the following week, you're seeing a swollen throat and they said, I fell. And so you begin to see unexplainable um, scars and wounds on the body of of the victim, and 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 then you, if you look further, also you begin to find out that the person begins to lose uh, address sense. Now they, they are not they are not dressing appropriately again. Um, they are looking unkept. Um, to for the extreme indicators of um of violence especially the physical and emotional um the big the the, the victim begins to have body odors uh, because uh they are just seeing their body as not um worthy enough to be taken care of so they begin to neglect their their personal and physical hygiene and and, and then also uh, other indicators that you begin to see if if the person is working and uh, you begin to see the person actually begging for funds at all time despite the fact that the person is making enough money and and those are the few signs that you see uh, and then when it comes to um sexual violence it's 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 a bit difficult to notice this abuse, um, the indicators. But you you begin to see uh, that the person's um, behavior or reaction to touch of the opposite sex be, becomes a bit aggressive. The person is just on the edge. Um, if the woman is sexually abused at home and physically abused at home, you you find a behavior uh, towards the opposite sex in the workplace in the church uh being um unexplainable you a little touch from here and the person is fidgeting and or get aggressive or unnecessarily so it depends also on on the the age the maturity the exposure of the victim um for you to see some of these indicators that i've, I've just mentioned once you detect that a person might be suffering from domestic abuse Try to get them professional support first. It's tempting to want to help that person yourself, but the type of help a domestic abuse victim needs is often way beyond what a friend or family members can give them. The major way that we can get people out of it is through therapy, which and one of the therapy is that I use, you know, is cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, it has to do with the mindset. As a friend or a relative, you may not be. You're not trained to use. You're not trained to use the method. Um, the good. The good thing about it is that if you seek help on time, right? As a relative, as a friend, if you notice your friend or your relative or anyone is going through these kind of issues, the best thing to do is to, you know, seek help for that person. A lot of times, the person may not want to but try as much as possible to show the person that this is what you need and this is how you can come out of this you know it's all about you getting 
as a relative or as a friend getting information about what is really going on. And that's why I'm so I'm so proud and happy that you guys are doing this. Because by the time you put it out, a lot of people are more aware and more knowledgeable about some of these things. You know, so the best help is not using CBT because you know you are not trained to use to use because there are a lot of other things that are, that goes with it. So best thing is you know refer the person to a therapist or a psychologist who would help the person out. If things are really bad, there may be a need to report the case to authorities and organizations like Network Against Domestic Violence Foundation. They are available to help escalate severe cases to the appropriate authorities. I have a group. I started this group as um, when there was COVID lockdown. I am a journalist. I, I used to cover health. That's Edomawo Udeme, founder of Network Against Domestic Violence Foundation. Her organization takes abuse cases and refers them to the appropriate authorities, which includes the Nigeria Police Force, National Human Rights Commission, National Agency for the Prohibition of Trafficking in Persons, NAPTIP, and even the Federal Ministry of Women Affairs and Social Development. So during COVID lockdown, we couldn't go anywhere. And calls, I would, sometimes I'll call the hospitals to ask how far, what's going on. I had my contact account at some hospitals. And then when I got the calls, majority of the calls I received were battered women, children that were sexually molested young girls that were sexually molested, battered, and stuff like that. And so I formed a group on Facebook. The group was meant for us to just be sharing our stories. The story of this and that we share. Story of this and that we share. So that's how we started. And people now say, no, you have to register this because we're intervening as well. COVID um, lockdown was released and we, we now had some, you know, um, free, some level of freedom of movement. So we started intervening in those cases. Madam Udemes Foundation, Network Against Domestic Violence Foundation, is an advocate for providing temporary shelters as safe places for women who are running from domestic abuse. So if and only if there is a support system, like Nigerian support system, Nigeria has a government, or Nigerian government has a support system where if I have an issue with my husband, I'll first run to that place. Then if we have to reconcile, I'll then come back. I'm sure domestic violence will be drastically reduced. But we are in a system that if you have an issue, you run to your church, the church says, ah, it's for better for us, go back. You run to your family, your family says, which of the houses are you coming to see? Go back. Your friends are also having the same issue, so they cannot even accommodate you. So those are the reasons they, they think of all the ways to stay, to, to live, or they cannot live. So if and only if we have such a place, we have shelters, we have, it's temporary, you're not coming to live there forever. But because something may happen to you that night, you were like, let me just go to a place I can just hang on for a night. And then by tomorrow, I think of what to do. We don't have such, 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 such places. The courts are also available to assist with severe cases by issuing restraining orders if needed. That we need to tell women that the court is there to protect them. You know, many of our, our women and um, many of our students do not believe 
in in in, in the court in the, in the um, justice system in Nigeria. But I, I want to tell you here: yes, we have our problems, but they do work. And so we need to start teaching women that you may it's not necessary for you to leave and leave your children behind. If your children are between a particular age range, by law, they're supposed to be with you. If we can establish that the, the, the man is abusive, we can start teaching women that in the next one month, just gather the necessary information, get a lawyer, um, get a restraining order from court under the bar part, and then you can have your kids and get a support system that help you with your kids. But if getting the kids is not an immediate thing, it's not possible immediately, and you know that your life is in danger, is it not better for you to leave at that particular time and start the process of getting your kids than to die in that particular situation and then you make your children orphans? So what I used to tell people, I said, you will get your kids if you want to. I, I, I know, I know, I know of a case of a, of a friend of mine that was uh, sexually, um, domestically abused by the husband, and they have two kids. She got the kids. The man threatened. They went to court, and then when she was relocating from Abuja to Lagos, I told her go to the nearest police station and incident this particular case, so that the moment it comes in, you get the police on him. So we need this right information. On how to do what is about custody if if you're legally married or you're not even legally married these children are yours so if it's possible for the woman to leave first and then get a, a, a court injunction um restraining the man and maintaining status quo as the case go on good but if it's going to be very very difficult and her life is in great danger the first thing is safety first there's help out there for those who are ready to be helped, and we will put links to some of these organizations in our episode notes. But we still have a long way to go in protecting victims of domestic violence. We need stronger laws across all of our states. We need the Ministry of Women Affairs to ramp up the development of temporary shelters and safe spaces where victims can go to get away from a potentially dangerous situation at home. And we need parents to be aware that the seeds of domestic violence actually start with the way we raise our children. Both perpetrators and victims are made in the home first. So let's do our parts in the home to be more conscious about how we discipline our children. What if the next time you want to pick up the cane to flog your kids after doing the things you specifically ask them not to do, you pause for a second and think of creative ways that you can discipline your child. So as a parent, I'll tell you that you can help in stopping tolerance for abuse as much as you can, you want to discipline your children. I'm not saying you should not discipline your children, but there's what is called negative reinforcement instead of punishment. You know, instead of punishment, you're beating the person, you're hitting the person, punching the person, you can do negative reinforcement, which can be withdrawing some privileges, some rights, you know, giving them time out, you know, telling them to go, not, not go out at usual time, and limiting their privileges more or less. That is negative reinforcement. It has been shown through research that negative reinforcement helps people to change 
instead of more than more than punishment. You know, you know, if you want somebody to learn a good behavior, you want somebody to be of a good um, um, possible behavior. Negative reinforcement is just the best form of um, discipline instead of. To move Nigeria to the next level, we need a generation of people that do not automatically use force to solve every problem. We need a generation that is not afraid to speak up because they have learned to be helpless. We have had enough of that. It is time that we parents start taking the time to find non-violent and creative ways to correct our children and set them on the right path. Yes, it is more time consuming and yes, it requires enormous patience, but that's the only way to break the cycle of collective abuse that we're all currently living in. Hi everyone, I understand that in Nigeria we have a lot of big problems to solve. Security, the rising cost of food, education, and we're right to focus on these issues. But then we end up dismissing what we think are small issues, like how we discipline our children. We blindly and unconsciously continue to do the things that were done to us. Now, we're not blaming the past generations. They did what they could with the knowledge that they had at the time. They tried their best. We can continue telling ourselves that we were beaten and look how we turned out. But look how we turned out. Isn't it time to try something different? The Backstory is a Triple E Media production. Production copyright 2022, Triple E Media Productions. Thank you to Dr. Jackie Ikeotunye and the other survivors who took the time to share their stories with us. Thank you to Dr. Sheyun Ogunla, a clinical psychologist and wellness therapist of Primly Medical Services. Kola Wole Olatosimi at Child and Youth Protection Foundation and Edomowo Odeme at Network Against Domestic Violence Foundation for granting us interviews. And special thanks to Alexandra Gekpe and Antonieta Kalunta. This episode of The Backstory was produced by Ramat Mohammed, Miriam Mohammed, Lucky Usama, Sam Tabakaji, and Dominic Tabakaji. Executive producer, Ramat Mohammed. 